Hello, and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood, here with my co-host, Jason Hammond. Jason, how are you doing today? Good, Todd. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. What's on deck for our topic today? So we're going to talk about the ketogenic diet as it relates to athletes. And you know, since we're cyclists and since this is the Performance Cycling Podcast, we want to focus on cycling specifically. And we do need some background, as we do in a lot of episodes. We kind of start a little bit away from the topic, and then we hone in on it. And Todd, I'd like you to correct me if I get any of this stuff wrong. This is not a study. This is just some of the basics on blood sugar. The first thing, you know, some example, we eat carbohydrates, we eat some sugar, our body absorbs that sugar, and actually... The very top of our intestines is where we absorb simple sugars. So like if you had Gatorade or another really sugary drink, you absorb it right under the stomach. And um, that is like usually the rate limiting step with absorbing sugar. And so if you have like a lot of sugar all at once, if you can't absorb it right as after it exits the stomach, uh, it actually goes further down the intestines and that's usually a cause of uh, bloating. So that's what happens when you have too many gels at once. Just a fun fact for you there. When this sugar absorbs into the body, it goes into our blood. And we have this metric called blood sugar. And what that is, is it's a measure of the amount of sugar in our blood. So if you get a blood panel with your doctor, they take a certain amount of blood and then they check how many um, millimoles of glucose is in that blood. And so the measure for blood sugar is millimoles per liter. And just like sodium, just like potassium, our body functions and our body expects a certain range of concentrations for sugar. And just like it does for sodium, potassium, chloride, all these different micronutrients, we have expectations in our body. And if you go outside this range too much, your body starts to have issues and your organs can't function properly. You have issues with... Uh, energy issues with like your brain functioning properly stuff like that and so our body has a natural way to process the blood sugar so say you go out to a restaurant and you have ice cream afterwards and you just ate a whole bunch of pasta you know you had sugary ice cream afterwards you have a lot of sugar in your body and it's all absorbed into your blood and what happens is our body produces insulin which is a hormone and the the hormone signals us to store that sugar as glycogen and as fat and one particular issue with older people generally is type 2 diabetes and that issue has uh, some correlation with our body not reacting to insulin and so you will make insulin and your blood sugar levels won't drop and basically that is the underlying issue and your body starts to not work properly Whereas for athletes, if we're looking at the athlete population, actually we have lower insulin levels than sedentary people. So one big thing is that in the athlete population, even master's level athletes will have uh, a good sugar response, a good insulin response to increase blood sugar. And so in terms of hitting unusually high levels of blood sugar, that's not really a concern for us. but there are advantages to having lower insulin levels. So we can keep our body weight lower because insulin tells us to store the fat, store the sugar. Uh, whereas if we 
have the opposite, which is glucagon. And we talked about this in the uh, how to lose weight during base. Glucagon sort of says the opposite of insulin, which says, let's use energy. So if you have lower insulin levels, you have higher glucagon levels, and you have more energy utilization, more, more ability to produce energy, which that's obviously an advantage for cyclists. And for the aging population, you have a, having a decrease in insulin levels that can improve longevity, like we said, improve body functions. Now we're getting back to the ketogenic diet. The diet is, was originally created or originally devised to help us with this issue, with the aging population, with a lack of insulin response and uh, a lack of control of blood sugar. I think you're factually correct so far, so far as I recall. So yeah, when it comes to the diabetes and the insulin response and all that stuff, that's true, true as far as I recall from my textbooks. The keto, uh, ketogenic diet, it's been uh, in and out of research. I believe some of the early papers were like in the 1920s and then it sort of fell out of favor. And actually a recent study, as in 1997, the ketogenic diet showed a decrease in seizures in children and basically the the body when you have really low carbohydrate levels starts to produce ketones and ketones are basically a survival technique that our body uses in order to continue to fuel our brain and imagine uh, back in the day when food was more scarce you didn't have access to carbs all the time. And when you were sort of starving and your body said, we need to keep this thing alive, let's produce ketones. And the ketones can fuel the brain. And the ketogenic diet became popular again in the late 90s because of this study where they showed decreased uh, seizure rates in children. And other researchers started to explore it, uh, both in the sedentary population and in the athlete population. And uh, since then, there's been a lot more traction, both in research, but also and popular media. And so true ketogenic diet in the research sense is so few carbohydrates that you start to produce these ketones. And one reference point is like 25 grams of carbs per day is your limit. And once you get below that, you start to produce ketones. And actually for athletes, that's an incredibly low amount of carbs. And I don't recommend that for anyone. Uh, and in popular media, ketone a keto diet is more along the lines of uh, a low-carb diet, adequate protein diet, and a high-fat diet. And we're not really expecting you to produce that many ketones, but we are trying to shift the calories away from carbs and the calories towards fat. So 25 grams of carbs a day is basically equivalent to one energy gel. So obviously, I mean, if I was trying to do that, I probably wouldn't choose one energy gel as my source of carbs for the day, but that's how small that is. So it's a pretty restrictive diet in terms of how many carbohydrates you're taking. And if you're sticking to the by the book definition, at least. And so something like that, that would be used for someone who has seizures every day. And, and you know, you're part of this study they did very aggressively reduce their sugar intake. And actually, uh, I read the follow-up paper on that paper, and the author said, we still don't know why it works. We just know that when we take the sugar out, you know, the, the brain and the blood starts to, you know, not malfunction and, and whatever the issue was with these children. And that's like such a unique use of the ketogenic diet compared to what we're interested in, which is 
for athletes. And if you look at some of the studies for athletes, they say something like 10% carbs by calories, uh, 25% protein, and then the rest is fat. And the other emphasis for athletes is being calorically neutral. So a lot of keto diets will be focused on losing weight, but for athletes, if you're doing consistent training, you want to make sure you're properly fueled for all your work. And so the emphasis for a lot of these studies is low carb, but proper fueling. Make sure you get enough calories to do all your work, but get most of those calories from fat sources. So looking at the diet specifically, some good options are seafood, um, nuts such as almonds, walnuts, uh, pecans. I, I always think of pecans as more of like a dessert nut. Uh, if you maybe want to have a, a quarter cup of those after dinner or something, those are very high in fat. Um, some fatty protein, like some fatty beef or uh, fatty chicken, those are very common. Vegetables are good, but only some vegetables, uh, like potatoes are not a great option for the keto diet, but something like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, carrots, those are better options. Um, I think everyone would, would do well with a cup or two of broccoli a day. Sure. I mean, generally, vegetables are good for us. A lot of things in there, micronutrients, fiber, of course. Uh, but I think conceptually, that's the the volume on your plate. Whereas if you're used to eating a big bowl of rice or pasta to fuel you, now these vegetables are taking that place because they have a large, a large volume and a little bit of carbs in them, uh, just not a ton. Yep. And then other intuitive options are like cheese, avocados, eggs greek yogurt is an option that's high in protein and low in um, sugar and olive oil and so these are classical low carb foods and if someone does a ketogenic diet they'll probably see a lot of those in their diet and uh, that's sort of the basics of the diet a lot of diet stuff is very personal what foods do you like to eat uh, what foods fit into your macronutrient goals it's you know, instead of giving you too many specific options, uh, you should, I think every athlete should record their caloric intake and have a look at the percent consumption by macronutrients, at least for a couple weeks in order to understand that and get a broad understanding of their percentages for each macronutrient. It's a good experience. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal to get it exactly right, but it can teach you how to think in terms of those ratios. Yeah, and I think you'll learn a lot about what you think your diet is and what your diet actually is if you go through that process. All right, so let's move on to some studies. And I guess this is where the discussion really starts. So we talked a little bit about the diet. We talked a little bit about the goals with ketogenic diets in relation to blood sugar. We don't really want it to spike up. If we have lower insulin levels, we have higher glucagon levels, which means we have more energy utilization. If we have lower insulin levels, we have less storage of energy, which can be good as cyclists are not in the game of storing energy, they're in the game of putting energy into the pedals. And so as I mentioned before, cyclists and endurance athletes specifically aren't really worried about the insulin rushes as much as the sedentary population. Like I said, older endurance athletes, they'll have a similar insulin response to sedentary college-age students. And that study will be in the show notes. I think it's a great study. Basically, what they did was just gave uh, you know older athletes, older sedentary people, college-age athletes, and college-age sedentary people a 
big pile of sugar and they tracked their blood sugar levels every five minutes and they produced this very fascinating curve and obviously the college-aged endurance athletes had the best curve and it didn't spike as much the interesting the most interesting part of that study was that um, the endurance athletes who were older uh, were similar to sedentary college-age students and you see that like a lot of older endurance athletes are incredibly healthy yeah absolutely and if that test is anything like what i know the um gestational diabetes tests are because uh, my wife's done that you're basically drinking syrup. It's this really thick, viscous, syrupy thing that you have to drink so they can get you to consume enough carbohydrates in a really short period of time to give a good test result. So not a test I would sign up for and not something that replicates how anyone eats, but just to be able to replicate and get a, a big response. That's sort of how they do it. And if you are interested in the numbers, so it, it, it's usually measured in millimoles per liter, and the cutoff is usually 100 for your resting blood sugar. So if you have a poor blood sugar response, a poor insulin response, if you fast for 12 hours, they'll see your blood sugar is still over 100. And that's considered concerning, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because right after that big dinner that you eat your blood sugar could go up to like 180 and then you see see this curve down back to 100 or 80 whatever your resting is and it's fascinating to think that you know when you eat you just have this huge blood sugar spike and it's your body's job to process that uh, that's could be the reason why uh, we get so sleepy after our food, our, our body's working hard to do something with all that uh, sugar that we put into our body from that pasta. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. Digesting your food takes actually a, a pretty, so it's not non-trivial amount of energy, I'll put it that way. It's surprising. It's not, it is not a free process by any stretch. Sure. So for cycling specifically, for the keto diet, the reason we may be interested in it, it boils down to two reasons. We want to keep our insulin levels down in order to increase our energy use, facilitate energy use, and also to decrease our storage. We know for cycling, we want to be a lower body weight. So if we keep our insulin levels down, that could help us store less, keep a, a lower body fat percentage, a better body composition, and of course, make it easier to go up the hills. And the other reason is to increase fat metabolism potentially. So if you eat less carbs, there are some suggestions that you could have higher fat metabolism. And we had a whole episode on fat metabolism. So, you know, in summary, or I'd encourage you to go listen to it because a couple sentence summary won't be able to summarize 40 minutes, but you want to use fat in order to spare your carbs so you can use your carbs at a more useful time in the race. Or you want to use more fat because then you basically have an unlimited storage of fat on your body relative to the effort so you have all the energy you need to complete the effort so fat metabolism in general is seen positively in the athletic community in terms of maximizing your fat metabolism could be a big benefit especially for endurance athletes i'm just going to add one more little thing on the insulin comment which is to say when your body takes in all that sugar and the job of insulin is to alert the cells to store it. And the key piece, I think, for us as endurance athletes is that we have a strong insulin response because there's relatively low levels of insulin circulating. So when our cells see insulin, they really perk up at attention and take action to store it. 
and they're going to be more likely for us uh, to store it as glycogen, which is what we want, as opposed to fat, which we don't necessarily want in terms of maintaining good body composition. So I think that's a, it's a key point. It's like it's not just not storing it, it's how you store it, and that response by having it generally lower is a little bit more robust, and it's going to be more likely to get it stored in glycogen where you want it. Yeah, that's a good point. And so the the lower we keep our insulin levels, the more our cells respond to that in a positive way. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to some of the studies uh, that I was able to dig up. So one study on aerobic exercise. And uh, if you listen to the PremLab on keto adaptation, we touch on these a little bit. But uh, four weeks of keto diet did not affect moderate intensity exercise performance, which is 65% of VO2 max. And this is something that's generally agreed upon about the keto diet in cycling is aerobic efforts are not affected. And if we go back to the theory of why that might be true, it's because aerobic efforts can use fat or they can use carbs and the aerobic system itself has full functionality with both. And as long as you don't need too much energy at once, there's no reason why you can't use fat to fuel that work. Right. And 65% of VO2 max is in that zone where it's very much conceivable that you could be burning fat pretty well to fuel that effort. I think you could probably be 80 or 90% fat, especially if you were fat adapted for 65% of VO2 max. And that's kind of something that's not argued about is if you never go over 65% of VO2 max, there's no reason not to do the keto diet because you see the same performance, your body composition is going to be better. You know, there's no real downsides here. So that's a, that's a really, really long effort. That's like a brevet or a race across America or something like that, where you're maintaining a relatively lower intensity for a very long time where you can make use of that. So the, pe the population I'm thinking of is the weekend rider who doesn't really engage in high intensity work during their rides. Like maybe a social rider probably doesn't have the justification for the carbs or rarely sees themselves go over about tempo. Um, if you're that person, you may really be interested in a keto diet. So the other thing that's generally agreed upon for cyclists and the keto diet is that it does improve body composition. And that's been shown quite a few times. And at least in the short term, it's been shown to be true. And the idea here is one potential way to use the keto diet is actually during the preseason. And so if you use it when you're not in need of high intensity work or you're not in need of that extra energy that carbohydrates provide you can take advantage of the keto diet to improve your body composition and while we're on this topic you should be losing weight in the preseason. that's the time to do it and so all you you know fitting in the keto diet into your preseason training could be just a little extra edge to get a few more pounds down uh, come race time at the end of the preseason. So another study that I have, Todd, this one is off-road cyclists. And I like how researchers, they, you know, they don't like to say mountain bikers. Well, that just wouldn't be appropriate research language. You can get a dissertation passed with saying a mountain biker. Of course, it's an off-road cyclist. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's understandable that they did it, but, you know, it's... it's, it's it, it reads funny, right? Because yeah. you want to say mountain biker, but it says off-road cyclist. 
So in this study of off-road cyclists, there were eight male subjects, average age was 28, uh, I think plus or minus four, so decent population, probably the most populous of the cyclist population, so pretty easy to get subjects. They actually showed a decreased max workload and decreased workload at threshold after a keto diet relative to control, and the control was just your regular diet. And the point of this study is it does show that there is some cutoff point where a keto diet is no longer fine. You no longer see the the same performance. And for these, I, I think it's interesting also that these are off-road cyclists because I believe mountain biking has more sharp, short intensity efforts. And although the workload at threshold may be like it may be summarized as threshold work, but there may be some super threshold points where you are using carbs more extensively. Certainly when you come, I mean, to be fair, I say not just in a race on a mountain bike, but certainly even riding on a trail, it just, you know, na nature and man look at going from point A to point B in different ways, right? And when we pave a road, we smooth it out. We find the, not the steepest grade to go up. We go around that and we make the road a little bit longer. A trail, not so much. A trail may be steeper, maybe undulating and mountain bikes of course have the gears to handle that but as a rider you definitely see a lot more spikes in your power output than you would on a road bike and so i think the big takeaway from this study is if you have undulating power numbers you have spikes in intensity and also if you're spending time at threshold or above there is some suggestion that your total workload and your workload at these higher intensities may decrease if you use a ketogenic diet and that's sort of the crossover point for where it does start to affect you so i guess that makes sense especially as we think about what energy source you want to use as you move up in intensity but i do find it interesting that they use i wonder if they intentionally used off-road cyclists because of that difference in how power output is put down uh, off-road versus on-road hmm. yeah that's something that I guess we'd have to check the discussion uh, to see if they did that on purpose. Um, I think that the takeaway here is the, the cutoff point for ketogenic diets has to be right around threshold or maybe a little bit lower in terms of where you do see a performance drop off. And like you hinted at, Todd, the anaerobic system only uses carbohydrates. And we intuitively should see a decrease in anaerobic capacity in response to a decrease in carbohydrates. And basically threshold is that point where we start to see enough contribution of the anaerobic system to see a statistically significant decrease in workload. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I guess you may get on this, but I have, I have a, another question now that's bubbling up because what about sprint efforts? Is there a difference in sprint efforts? That's a different energy system still. So yes, we are getting to that. And the last thing I wanna say about anaerobic power is one of the biggest complaints, there was a review and um, the reviewer, the author said, uh, we have a total of six papers and one other review article on anaerobic power and ketogenic diet. And so it has very, not been explored very heavily. And I wonder if that's because most researchers uh, intuitively say, well, I'll see a decrease in performance. I don't 
you know, I don't care to research about it, but we would love to have a bigger body of evidence that there is a performance decrement or there isn't. Yeah, and I think that's part of good science is, sure, I think there's plenty of research to look at and say, it, it's reasonable to believe there should be a decrease in performance, but you have to go out and prove it. Somebody has to do the research and say, yep, actually we did observe this. And that go, I mean, we still do tons of studies on exercise in the general population. And we know it's good for your heart and we know it's good for your blood sugar and, you know, many, many other things, but there's still a ton of research going on on exercise. We haven't just thrown in the towel and said, yeah, I think it'll help you with this thing. We keep digging in to really quantify it. So I, I suspect that's coming maybe in a couple of years. Sure. So the studies that we do have on anaerobic power, recreationally trained subjects, they showed a decreased strength in a three set squat exercise at 80% of one rep max. Basically, the they had a predefined number of reps you were supposed to do, and the control group uh, was able to finish them, and the keto group was not able to finish the third set at 80% of one rep max. And I think that they did 10 or 11 reps, and that's a good metric for anaerobic performance because that is about one minute worth of squatting or uh, maybe a little bit shorter, right in that 40 seconds to 60 seconds that you would be using your anaerobic power. So we have some evidence that you see decreased strength in these one minute type efforts. So then I guess the next question is what about shorter? Right. So there are actually two other studies on cyclists for anaerobic efforts. Uh, I just want to hit this real quick. So they both showed a decreased average power for the anaerobic efforts, but only one of them showed a drop off in peak power. That's starting to get into the, the sprint idea is we don't really see a drop off in peak power. One of them did, but we definitely see a drop off in anaerobic power. So these one minute efforts, we should expect a decrease. The authors of the review paper actually mentioned other sports. For example, gymnastics showed no decrease in performance with a ketogenic diet. Powerlifters showed no decrease in performance. They didn't directly talk about sprint performance, but they referenced these other efforts that are incredibly sprint, you know, creatine phosphate energy system efforts. And they said, since they didn't see a decrease, it's likely actually sprint performance is not decreased by a ketogenic diet. That's what I would have thought. It's such a short effort and different energy system that it wouldn't be impacted, but interesting to also see how they're looking at other sports that are, rely on that energy system and then extrapolating across the cycling. So we have a metric for the amount of sprint power that you can use. So we can quantify how much energy is in your creatine phosphate system. And I think I was measured at 11 kilojoules at one point, and that was sort of on the lower end. I, I believe it's like eight kilojoules up to 15 or 16 kilojoules. Uh, basically, that's how much energy you can put out in a sprint before uh, you basically have to sit back down. That number is, what, two to four grams of carbs worth of energy. And so even if you're having 25 grams of carbs in an entire day, your body can find two to four grams of carbs to fuel that sprint effort. You know, because sure. the effort's so short, it would make sense that you could still complete it at maximum capacity. Well, just if you think about this from an evolutionary standpoint, we didn't always have carbs available. We stored them when we could, but sometimes you wouldn't have had carbs available 
and you either needed to run from something that wanted to eat you for dinner or you needed to run after what you were going to catch for dinner. And so it would make sense that we'd still have some ability to maintain a sprint to be able to, like I said, survive or catch food. Survive either way, I suppose. Just you know, eat or be eaten. This is sort of how the keto diet fits in is we don't see a decrease in sprint performance. We don't see a decrease in 65% of VO2 max, but we probably see a decrease in one minute, 40 seconds. These, you know, some would call them middle distance, these, these moderate length efforts. And, you know, if you're racing, yeah, this isn't going to work. You can't be on a keto diet if you're doing a proper race because there are so many of these one-minute efforts in a race. People trying to drop you, you trying to drop other people, you trying to break the field in half, something like that. We really need that 60-second power. If you're going out with your friends and you like to have a good time, maybe you have a sprint at the end for fun, maybe you can get away with the keto diet. So I feel like that that works. Fun social ride. That's that's cool. That totally works. I feel like ultra endurance sort of riding totally works. If you want to go out and ride a really long time, this could work for you. But then, like, what about a track sprinter? If you only ever do two hundred meters at a time, it seems feasible. Well, so I thought about this a little bit. If we go to a road sprinter, we know that peak power probably isn't affected. We know that a road sprinter actually spends more time training their VO2 max than they do spend training their sprint power. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because you're doing five minutes worth of a tiny burst effort to get into the wheel you want, and then a tiny burst effort to snap out of the corner to, to hold your position. And then you, know, you lose a bit, bit of position, so you have to do this little snap effort again. And so you end up doing a lot of these anaerobic capacity efforts, a, a lot of VO2 max work, and okay, that final 15 seconds doesn't, isn't affected, but you know, the 10 minutes before that, when you're fighting for position, you, you're limited in those. Sure. And so you're specifically asking about, in my mind, a hundred meter track sprinter is in my opinion, the only person, mm -hmm. the only type of uh, sprint effort athlete that could get away with this. Right. Yeah. You'd have to be doing the sprint, right? Otherwise, too, it's either too long or not long enough. For track cycling, the shortest event on the track is the, um, I think they call it the team time trial. Team sprint? Yeah, the team sprint. And the first athlete in the team sprint does, I think, 17 seconds worth of work. And the next closest to that is obviously the, um, the second rider who does, you know, 34 seconds worth of work. And even the 200 meter time trial, which is not, it's, it's usually used as a qualifying event for the sprint, but it's not a, an event on its own. That you're given three laps of the track to wind up for the 200 meter sprint. So you're still mm -hmm. doing two minutes worth of work. And although you're only timed for the last 200 meters, you're going full gas for at least the whole last lap of the track. And so even those are 20, 30 second efforts. And uh, in my opinion, I think any competitive athlete who's doing any, anything snappy, the ketogenic diet isn't, isn't for them. No, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think you could make it if you're super, super short effort or on the other end where you're never going into the anaerobic system, but 
there's not a whole lot of race opportunities for either of those. Most of us live in the middle. Right. And I think the only, so one good example of this would be like Iron Man. I think most uh, top level Iron Man triathletes are doing about that 65% of VO2 max for, you know, four or five hours on the bike. Right. They're, yes, they're, they're, they're going fast, but they're not going hard. That is an example of someone who would do well for the ketogenic diet, but right, most of us are doing something higher intensity than that. And that's probably the cutoff for the shortest effort that the ketogenic diet would be, would be beneficial for. Yeah, it, it has to be, it almost actually has to be a self-paced event to make sense. Yeah, anytime you have to respond to other athletes, you, you would be at a disadvantage if you didn't have uh, the carbs to burn. If you can self-pace, then like a super long time trial, then sure, that would make perfect sense. So I have a few more studies here. There's one study that focused on this thing called uh, carbohydrate sparing. And this goes back to the fat metabolism part is if we can use fat, we can spare our carbohydrates for when we do need them. And the question is, can we use a ketogenic diet to increase our fat metabolism and then you know, eat carbs kind of afterwards? Uh, there's this one study by, it wasn't by Tim Noakes, but he was one of the co-authors. And uh, if the listeners don't know, Tim Noakes, he's a pretty famous sports scientist. And he recently, as in in the last 10 years, uh, started to be a big advocate for the ketogenic diet for athletes. And he noted a lot of the uh, blood sugar advantages. And I, I think for, uh, like we said, a, a social rider, someone who likes to ride on the weekends, he makes a bunch of good points about reducing your insulin levels, things like that. And uh, one study that he produced after a two-week adaptation period to the ketogenic diet, their results suggested that there was an and I quote, enhanced resistance to fatigue and significant sparing of endogenous carbohydrates during low to moderate intensity exercise. And so that sort of suggests if you can get on the ketogenic diet for two weeks, you're going to resist the fatigue of the effort better. And you're also going to spare a lot of your glycogen stores. And so that seems great. That's kind of exactly what we would want. But he actually had another paper uh, that he co-authored uh, that he did later that actually showed that if you do two weeks on a keto diet and then the day before the event you eat carbohydrates in order to increase your glycogen stores for the day, you have a decrease in fat metabolism during exercise. And so it's almost like our fat metabolism only increases when we don't have carbs. Not, It's not like we can adapt to fat metabolism through the ketogenic diet and then eat carbs and still maintain that fat metabolism. That fat metabolism only exists when we don't have carbs. It's in, it's in the absence of carbs that we're going to burn more fat. I think that makes sense. Those efforts are preferentially fueled by carbs. Your body would always prefer to have the carbs to burn. It's just a question of we can adapt a bit to use fats if we needed to. Right. And I think that kind of summarizing or back to the fat metabolism episode, we want to increase our fat metabolism by doing base miles, by doing long endurance rides with only moderate carbohydrate intake. That's a more long-term adaptation than just changing your diet for two weeks. Yes. I think that's also a fair point is you, the magnitude of the change is probably related to the magnitude of the intervention to drive it. So base miles, weeks of base training are more likely to cause a change than 
a diet adaptation for a couple weeks. Yep. And then the last uh, study that I have, it's not actually a study, it's an editorial uh, published in a journal. So this is from an Australian researcher who focuses on sports nutrition. His name is uh, Luis Burke. And he wrote an editorial basically, you know, giving his opinion and referencing some studies. And he shined a pretty poor light on ketogenic diets for athletics. And, you know, him being a professor in sports nutrition, uh, that holds some ethos, some authority. And he noted that the keto diet showed increased perceived effort of training. He noticed that there were impairments to responsive training when the keto diet was followed for more than four weeks. And he also stated there was no clear evidence of enhancement of exercise capacity or performance. And I think he's right, except for the body composition part. I think that's the big interesting thing to me is that's a pretty generally agreed upon point that your body composition does tend to improve when you use a ketogenic diet as part of your training. And I guess another funny point is uh, I looked up another paper by Professor Burke and he puts fat adaptation in quotes as if he's skeptical of it as the author. In the sense like I don't believe that this actually happens. Yeah, like in the abstract, he's like um, this, you know, like this fat adaptation in this sort of, you know, you get this vibe of skepticism as he writes it. And a um, little, little cynical. Yeah. And so uh, like for him to write this editorial to, you know, include that he clearly has uh, something against the uh, the diet as a whole. And, you know, he, he has some studies to back it up. So we shouldn't just think it's his opinion. Well, I mean, I think there are sounds like from what we've talked about some applications for it but it also sounds like there's a broad swath of cycling and i would extrapolate that to sport in general especially endurance sport where this just isn't going to work for you it doesn't there's just no there's really no gain that you're going to have i agree and i think that in terms of competitive cyclists that i know i th i want to say less than five percent of them really could find benefit in the ketogenic diet in terms of uh, leisure cyclists or cyclists that i would go on a group ride with like in a uh, weekend endurance ride with i think probably half of them could really see a benefit from the ketogenic diet uh you know they you know ah, i don't really care to do the hard efforts i just like riding and being social and you know it's fun to to do the climb kind of fast you know, those kind of people yeah I think a ketogenic diet would be great for you and you'll see the improvements in body composition you'll go up that climb a little bit faster i think overall you'll see the response but if you're trying to be competitive i would say uh, let's let's shelve this diet method for now i guess the other potential group of cyclists that just occurred to me that potentially benefits from this if for the reasons they want is uh someone who commutes to and from their office when we we do that again uh they could benefit they could be low, low enough intensity if that's how they choose to ride. Uh, potentially, they get the, the insulin benefits and the body composition benefits from that. That's a good point. And actually, I knew this one rider who was a track rider, and he played football in high school, and he was like pretty overweight, even for a track cyclist. And he told me, I was at uh, Collegiate Nationals with him. He told me every morning he woke up and did a half-hour ride on his bike just as a way to get the morning going. And I wonder if he sort of burned through his carbs and got into this uh, fat metabolism stuff, like bright and early in the morning. Uh, you saying that just reminded me of that. 
I think if you are a bike commuter and you get on the bike and get to work before you have your breakfast, I think that could be a huge step to boosting your fat metabolism for the day and, and getting you in the right, um, getting your body in the right kind of mindset for, for reducing your fat. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually some, I think some interesting research around that particular aspect in terms of trying to do some fat adaptation in quotes or not, depending on which school of thought you come from. Yeah, I guess it's interesting. Like I would, I th intuitively, it sounds cool or interesting to, you just get up in the morning before breakfast, do a half hour ride on the trainer, or maybe you have a loop close to your house. Uh, you know, the, if you're gonna shower in the morning anyway, it could be cool. I wonder how that affects your ability to finish your workout later in the day uh, if you are training competitively. But I, it is worth uh, thinking about and seeing if maybe there is some research on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe there is something around cycling in the fasted state that hints at adaptations, but maybe we'll save that for another day. All right. So if you like the show, consider giving us a review. Consider sharing with your friends or sharing on social media. We really enjoy making these. We're learning a lot ourselves and hopefully we can spare you the time of trying the keto diet yourself if you're competitive or encourage you to get out there and try the keto diet if you fit into one of the groups that may benefit from it. Todd, if you have anything else? Not for now, but as always, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.